Pod is a ministry of Grace Church Greenwich. For more resources to help you get to know God better through his word, including bite-sized theology and answers to big questions, do check out www.greenwich.church. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to Grace Pod. My name's Andy Satch. And I'm Andrew Latimer. And we're inside my very cold house because I haven't put my heating on yet for the winter, so sorry about that. It's, it's a kind of challenge who could get to Christmas without hitting the switch. <laughs> and we're looking today at this amazing, amazing section of Mark's Gospel from chapter 4, verse 35, all the way through to chapter 6, verse 6. And um, Mark has put together four episodes which have got a lot in common, and in every case there's a desperate situation and then Jesus steps in and makes everything well. And they, um, there's a lot of colour involved as well. So I think part of um, getting to grips with this is just really enjoying the detail um, and seeing just how desperate things are and how effortless and easy putting things right is. So should we, should we go through and just enjoy some of the, the narrative here? So, yeah, we've got Jesus, just to give you the headlines, if you haven't um, got them in your head, Jesus... I know you've got them in your head. I mean, the listeners. (laughs) Hopefully we've got them in our head. But um, Jesus calms a storm. Jesus faces off 2,000 demons and um, exercises them. Jesus heals a woman who's had a hemorrhage for 12 years and is getting worse and worse. And then Jesus amazingly raises a, um, a, a young girl from the dead. So, yeah, which is, which is your favourite? I mean, they're all pretty extraordinary. Oh, I quite like the, in terms of genre, the, the demon-possessed man, because it's such a, um, I think if it were put on screen, it'd be really exciting. You've got this, um, I'm jumping in at number two, but let's get do that one next, just because you asked me. Um, so you've got this um, sort of showdown. Um, he, this guy is superhuman, demonic. He's a terrifying monster of a man. Three times we're told he lives amongst the tombs. This would be great for a movie maker. You could You can set it. You know, in some eerie place, and the, the fact that Mark tells you that three times. I mean, he, Mark is like in chapter one, he tells you it's in the wilderness, and he says it three times, and here it's in the graveyard, and he tells you it three times. So, Mark really wants us to notice the setting. I guess it's because this man is under the curse of death; like the demons are out to kill him. Yeah, that's right. And then you get Jesus kind of coming towards this this monster, and, and you're excited about what the showdown is going to be. Um, and then it's a complete anticlimax um, because, yeah, he just comes and he throws himself at, um, at Jesus' feet, basically. Uh, he ran and fell down before him, verse 6. And, and this, is, this is what we're learning about Jesus, is that um, it's really not a fair game. He's, he's just totally in charge. And, you know, however many, what we're going to see the incredible power of evil, you know, just destroying a whole herd of pigs. Um, but in terms of Jesus, they, it just falls at his feet and begs for mercy. This would make a lot of horror movies short, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Scene one, evil spirits beg Jesus for mercy. Scene two, and and even they beg and Jesus permits are the two verb. He you know, he gives them permission to go into the pigs, and yeah. then they run down the hillside and drown. And I I, I always when I imagine it you have to be in the sort of place where you can see 2,000 animals at once. So it may be a hillside where they're all dotted around. And I love the fact that there's no message to 
the pigs they just all of them supernaturally something happens and if you're watching it and then there's this thundering sound and they all just you know throw themselves into the sea to, to drown themselves and you get the sense of the, the power of evil and also the destructive quality of it i mean it, it matches what we learned about him cutting himself and so on this is all of this and then jesus just deals with it so so effortlessly now the modern reader is concerned about these pigs right so we think oh poor pigs why would jesus let all these pigs die whereas the ancient reader is concerned about the man and it's not that jesus doesn't care about good stewardship of creation but i do think our it sort of shows up on modern sensibilities that rather than being delighted that a, a human being has been saved we're sad that some animals have died and yeah, in our care for animals, we've got to get things in the right way around. And and the alternative would have been all of that destructive power focused on that man. So that that's why it's yeah we're thrilled that Jesus does what he does. I love the way it's told in verse um, fifteen. You talk about the way that Martin narrates it, but they came. So people heard that what's happened, and they hear this man's okay. And verse fifteen says, they came to Jesus and saw the demon possessed man the one who had had the legion. And it's like, it's obvious who it is, because this is the only person who's been described for the whole episode. But Mark's, he's almost anticipating your disbelief. Like it, it couldn't actually be him, could it? And, and there he is clothed in his right mind. And that phrase, I mean, that's beautiful in itself, clothed in his right mind. So whenever, you know, my mate's gone mad, someone becomes a Christian and secretly we all think they've gone weird and, and that they've become a, a, the oddball and and the bible consistently tells us no they are the sane one um mm. the, the christian is is suddenly learnt to think properly and to be dressed and in their right mind and they're they're surround, they're in the the madhouse and they're the one sane one so this showdown jesus versus evil um or you might say jesus versus death because the devil always wants to kill he's a murderer and jesus jesus wins I mean, it, it reminds me of that passage earlier in the gospel about when they think it's by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. And Jesus goes, no, you're not thinking logically here. I'm against evil. And Jesus used the analogy of binding a strong man and then plundering his house. And I think you get that kind of image here, don't you, that Jesus is much stronger than the strong man, Satan, and just plunder, plunders him in the sense of releasing this man from his grip. Yeah, should we should we um, run through some of the detail in the others, like the storm one? Um, yeah, what, what gives it colour? <clears throat> well, I mean, the storm—it's a great storm. I actually I saw something a bit like this when I went on a trip to Israel with Oak Hall Holidays. Um, cheeky plug there—they're not—they're not sponsoring this podcast, but they do do really good trips to Israel. And um, we were actually not the Sea of Galilee, but down south of the the Dead Sea, and there was this windstorm came out of nowhere and we were alongside the dead sea there's people applying special mud treatments to their skin because it's meant to be really good for you cosmetically and there's these sort of parasols where you could sit under them and have mud applied and the parasols got whipped up into the air by the by the wind and then they were falling like daggers and it, it was actually pretty terrifying people were sort of screaming and running and it made me think of this that a middle eastern storm can come very suddenly and these are fishermen and it's not like they're strangers to a bit of choppy water, but they think that they're perishing. They're, again, it's death. They're going to die. And if they're like fishermen today, mariners are not known for melodrama, like not being, <laughs> never going to see their families again. They actually mean yeah. it. Um, they think this is it. 
And then the contrast with Jesus, who is extraordinarily sleeping on a cushion. Yeah. And just trying to even formulate the mental picture of the ship at some crazy angle with water pouring in over the sides. And then Jesus slumbering very peacefully. And then when he wakes up, he's not fussed at all. He says um, he wakes up, rebukes the wind, which is an amazing verb, isn't it? It's like telling someone off, you naughty wind. Now stop it. And it's suddenly calm. This is the um, the trainer with the poodle, isn't it? Sit, <laughs> and, and then suddenly. Did you hear that, Gustav? <laughs> Gustav, not my poodle, my cocker spaniel is. Well, he is sitting, but if he wasn't, he wouldn't do it just because you said so. <laughs> but yeah, the, the whole of the sea is more obedient than Gustav. And the, the wind does sometimes die down quickly, but the the real shock here is that, that there was a great calm. The, this never happens after a big um, storm. It takes hours and hours for the sea to calm down but jesus can do it like that so um jesus versus death twice and he wins and then the third and fourth one are are actually interlead with each other in time so jesus starts on a 999 call to go to jairus daughter who is at the point of death says her dad and while he's on the way, he gets stopped and interrupted by the woman with the hemorrhage. And this really adds to the drama, just, um, here's a desperate man. My little daughter's at the point of death. Please come. And it's urgent, but then it's like Jesus asked the ambulance to pull in and he just pauses for ages. And you can imagine, for Jairus' point of view, just absolutely agonising weight. And, and the thing that causes all the weight is a woman comes up to Jesus and She's got such faith that she thinks, if I just touch Jesus' clothes, I'll be healed of my 12-year hemorrhage. Hmm. And, I mean, she's right. She she can be. Jesus has that much power. And then Jesus... But the, the thing that causes the delay is that Jesus insists on meeting her. There's this whole crowd. He says, someone touch me, someone touch me. And the disciples are like, look at all these people. How can you say that? Like, of, of course, lots of people touch you. And they're bustling. No, no, we've got to find this woman. And imagine Jairus there just waiting and waiting and the, the delay's getting longer. And then by the time he gets to the Jairus house, it's too late and she's died. Yeah. So there's a sort of, there's a healing that makes another tragedy worse and the two go alongside each other. Um, why don't we, should we talk about the woman first and then about the, the little girl? That bleeding woman. Yeah, let's talk about her. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, she's um, she's a picture of a, an utter outcast. So um, there's 12 years and she's no doctor can help her, run out of money, situation getting worse. She In those times, she wouldn't have been able to go to the temple. She can't be around other people. And you can... Because she's unclean because of her bleeding. Her bleeding would mean, yeah, she couldn't... Um, she, she was permanently, ritually unclean. And so you kind of get an insight into her situation, but you also feel her psychological state. It's clearly taken its toll on her confidence. And mm. um, she she does kind of breach the rules and, and go into a, a crowd, but then she's terrified she's going to get rumbled for it. Mm. Um, it makes me... There's just the poignancy of somebody who's... Not only can she not be helped by anyone but they there's people ready to take her money to actually make her condition worse i don't know what medicine was like in the first century but i guess i mean it just the mind boggles doesn't it to think of leeches and bleedings and you know but they've taken all her cash and made her worse and it's a very poignant picture of somebody looking the wrong in the wrong places um 
I mean, I don't mean she's at fault by it. I just mean you know, they're looking humanly for what humans cannot do. And then Jesus comes along and he calls her out. And she, as you say, she comes in fear and trembling. Um, and he says to this beautiful world's daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your disease. And we're thinking about, you know, what could possibly slow Jesus down in a blue light moment? Uh, you know, he's on the way to an emergency. But this is a really significant teaching moment. Jesus loves faith. We'll come back to that uh, in a minute. Mm. But, um, uh, you know, however many hundred people touched him and only one benefited. And he says, mm. look, here's the difference. There's a touch and then there's a touch of faith. And they're very different in the outcome. Um, mm. And we'll come back to that. And then the the most terrible one, really, and this, I mean, it's very terrible. It's It's been brought home to me because I've got close friends who lost a, a daughter earlier this year, tragically. And actually they had this passage read at her funeral. And it, it, it really brings home to me the horror of it. And then the absolute wonder of what Jesus can do and what Jesus did back here um, in history and what he will do for my friend's daughter on the on the resurrection day. Those icy words in verse 35, your daughter is dead. Those. Well, you've got four daughters. Yeah. You just... Can't read them without shaking up. Yeah. And uh, they're the, the, the words that every parent fears. And um, the, the, the shock is that they've, they've come in some way deliberately. I mean, we know Jesus can heal remotely. Um, we know that he was not ignorant that how close this girl was to dead to, to death and so to have got to this stage we we can't help but be pointing the finger at Jesus because he he could have avoided the situation and hasn't um and then we go in and and we see a, a similar scenario to the ones that we've seen before so just absolute desperation commotion weeping um and yet Jesus is totally calm and confident. And, and he says words which, if if he doesn't back himself, would make himself look very, very foolish. And they laugh, didn't they? But not not with amusement, you take it, but with contempt. The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they, <laughs> they, they scoff at him for saying that. Um, and of course, Jesus comes through. He takes her by the hand, Talitha Kumi, little girl, I say to you, wake up. Yeah, and the um, naturally everyone's amazed, and and you get a little insight as to maybe why Jesus has has done things in this way, because he wants Jairus to know Jesus not just as a healer but as a resurrector, and that that's a wonderful thing. And the fact that death is described as being asleep, um, you know, which obviously it's not. It sounds like a sort of empty sentiment, but for Jesus, it, it really is, and. I guess that image is in the Old Testament in Daniel, isn't it? Many who are sleeping and the dust of the earth will arise, Daniel 12. But this is the moment that it just transforms the whole Christian church. And you know, after this, the, the apostles frequently refer to death as just falling asleep. And which, in, in the English language, we, we speak of cemeteries, which is koimaterion, which is a, a dormitory. So our whole approach to, to death has changed that because of Jesus' words in this moment, mm. uh, we now see death as a kind of sleep mm. from which one day your Savior takes you by the hand and says, Wake up. And the fact that Mark gives it, I think it's the first time in the gospel that Mark's created in 
the Aramaic that Jesus would have spoken colloquially. So Mark's writing in Greek, which is the main written language of the Greek, well, the former Greek Empire. So if you want your book to be read by everyone far and wide, you put it in Greek. But Jesus, but Mark quotes the Aramaic that would have been the spoken language. Um, just, I suppose just to give us the intimacy of the moment, that like these the actual word Jesus says to this dead girl, Talitha Kumai, meaning little girl. It's time to wake up now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just beautiful. So four things, four episodes, all of which are terrible, desperate situations. And in fact, explicitly beyond human help. So the fishermen have no idea what to do about the storm. They think they're going to die. The villagers cannot restrain this man with the evil spirits, with his great powers. There's nothing they can do. The the doctors have made the woman worse for 12 years and then the father is absolutely the end because she's dead. Why bother the teacher? And in every case, Jesus, as you put it, effortlessly. Um, why do you think Mark is giving us all four of these? I mean, Mark's selective. There's lots of things Jesus does that don't make it into the gospel. Why is he giving us all four and why is he giving them to us at such length? Yeah, well, I guess in our lives we, we do come... A- against all kinds of desperate situations and we are very slow to remember and we sing it um that when i was growing up we used to sing on our camp which was a sailing camp with christ in your vessel you can smile at the storm um and um when you're actually in the in the storm i sing it with the children actually um how's it go with christ in your vessel you can smile at the storm it's very repetitive um and when you're actually in the, the trial and we all have serious situations, um, it's perhaps later we say, oh, yeah, I guess God was with me. But we, we, Jesus wants us to remember in the moment, um, whatever the trial is, and, and he, he keeps upping it, you know, even if it's, you know, nature is out of control or even if there's uh, evil or even if there's sickness or even if there's death. He wants us to know that with Jesus in the midst of it, um, the situation is transformed. Now, the other thing that comes in every episode, all four of these episodes, that must be deliberate on Mark's point is this response of being afraid. So everyone has this. So in the storm, Jesus wakes up from his sleep, rebukes the storm and then says to them, why are you so afraid? Have you no faith? Um, and then with the man who with the the demons when he's in his right mind and the villagers see the utter transformation of this guy they are very unsettled and they're afraid Mark says and then the woman when she's touched Jesus and been healed and, and Jesus starts calling out who was it who was it she comes in fear and trembling and then Jairus at the end Jesus says do not fear only believe so it, I think it's quite deliberate on Mark's point that in every case he's he talks about this fear, but it's actually not always fear of the same thing. So um, maybe we take them separately, but um, with the storm, when he says, why are you so afraid? Have you no faith? It seems he's talking about their fear of of drowning. Like, why were you scared of death when I was in the boat with you? Seems to be the question. Like, if only if only you trusted me, you wouldn't need to be so afraid. And that, that's definitely the same as Jairus at the end, when Jesus says on the news of his his daughter being dead, Jesus says, don't be afraid, only trust me. Don't fear, only believe. 
which I, I don't think is a rebuke. Like, how dare you be so scared? Because, like, obviously a grieving father. But it's a sort of reassuring word. You, do, you don't need to be afraid. You, you can trust me. So somebody who knows the power of Jesus does not need to even fear death. That's one kind of fear. But death is not the only thing that they're scared of. Do you want to tell us about the other kind? So with the um, the next fear we get is after the event when the demon-possessed man has been freed. And in verse 15, um, they saw him clothed and in his right mind and they were afraid. And I guess uh, similarly actually to the sort of fear they had in the boat after the miracle. They were filled with great fear and said to one another, who is this? So there's a kind of fear of Jesus where you you discover that here is someone who doesn't fit my category, someone who who's, can speak silence to the storm. And that that's in itself uh, produces a, a kind of right kind of fear. But it's, I mean, it's, it isn't amazing that, sorry, interrupting you, but... The fact that if you chose at which of these moments would you expect to be most scared, one, in a boat that's about to capsize and you're going to drown, yeah. or, or two, on a, on a lake, which is the sun's out and it's calm. and The mill pond. The mill pond. And it seems pretty clear in the way that Mark writes it that they are more scared on the calmed sea than on the about-to-kill-them sea. And Because actually seeing the power of Jesus freaks them out even more than being about to die. Yeah, yeah. And it goes in the wrong direction with these um, people, these Samaritans. So um, they're afraid, but actually it doesn't go in the right direction. So they they want rid of him. Um, They ask him to get out of the region, verse 17. So there's something positive about a fear of Jesus, but it's not a good fear if it wants you if it makes you want distance between you and Jesus. And and that's why it's so lovely with the woman. She comes in fear and trembling, but it's a fear that draws her close to touch him. And so, yeah, go on. Well, I guess the thing they got in common is, as you say, it's this, they suddenly realising who they're dealing with. And it's kind of unsettling. I mean, you think that it's the opposite response, as you say, that they beg Jesus to leave and the woman comes to him. But it's the opposite response to the same thing, isn't it? So I guess you could be somebody who doesn't know anything about Jesus. And then the more you start finding out about him, you realise he is a big deal. And then he's an unsettlingly big deal. And then he, he, you couldn't be comfortable with Jesus around. Yeah. They're both uncomfortable. And even for the Christian believer, it makes me think of John in Revelation. You know, John, who took Jesus often in his fishing boat. But then when he sees him in his glory... In, in on on the Isle of Patmos in his vision, he falls in his face as though dead, and Jesus says, "Don't be afraid." As in, I think if we're face to face with the raw power of Jesus, it's unsettling. But the question is, like you say, do we draw near to him or do we push him away at that point? And um, and that's why in these uh, little pictures, we don't just see a portrait of a huge um, power uh, play, but we see the the beauty and gentleness and compassion. Uh, and goodness of Jesus. So th- this woman can see, yes, here's someone who's hugely powerful, but he's good, and that draws her in. Mm. Um, and then the, the the other fear comment in verse 36, which is after um, the, the icy news comes, your daughter is dead. Um, Jesus says, do not fear, only believe. And it's very interesting that he gives, um, this is in the midst of the problems. This isn't um, yes. a- after the resurrection of 
the little girl he he has a teaching point about you know why you don't need to fear even in the midst of the problem he gives him a word to cling to that's all he's got at that point news of a death and then bear words from jesus do not fear only believe and he's teaching him this point which is even in the middle of it you can cling to jesus and trust him um and that i as you know i've got this little idea of a fear swap and i don't know i don't know how much i'm forcing it onto mark you certainly see it elsewhere in the bible quite clearly like in in one peter he makes this big point that fearing god means you don't need to fear other people hebrew midwives the hebrew midwives fear god they don't fear pharaoh yeah psalm 34 he fears the lord and it delivers him from his fears it's kind of lots of space in the bible I i think it's here because the way that mark has sandwiched together these the little girl and the woman and obviously they you know they they happen sandwiched together in time chronologically it's during the 999 call that Jesus meets the woman but mark also draws out little details that make you compare them so the woman had bleeding for 12 years and the little girl was 12 years old mark doesn't usually tell you ages but he just points it out so you see the little the little contrast the little link and he says to the woman he calls her his daughter um just like the little girl is Jairus daughter and I wonder whether there is that then that compare and contrast that Jairus doesn't need to fear death and the woman shows us the better way that she comes and fears Jesus. You know, she comes in a trusting fear and trembling. Like only only a Jesus scary enough to be this powerful is a is a Jesus that can displace the fears of, of death in our lives. Yeah. So we can know in all situations that Jesus can be trusted. Um, and part of the reason is because he's more powerful and terrifying than any of the things we could be afraid of. And this is, as, you, as you've heard, it's just been a discussion between two friends about, about the Bible. Um, we hope that Grace Bob might be useful for members of Grace Church Greenwich who studied these things just to go over them again. But also for other churches. So do share them. It might be that this is a way in for you for these passages in Mark's Gospel. Maybe it can help you in your own personal devotional time. We'd love them to be useful. So um, enjoy them. Subscribe if, if you're enjoying this one and maybe share it with friends. God bless. Thank you for listening to Grace Pod. For more information about Grace Church Greenwich, visit www.greenwich.church.